everybody, and welcome to episode 470 of the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. It's Monster Kid Radio, and you can easily say that this month we're devoted to luchador films. That's right. Ladies and gentlemen, it is time for Lucha de Mayo. Every May, we take a look at the luchador monster movies that I love so much. Santo, Blue Demon, Mil Mascaris, and all the rest have taken on vampires, Frankensteins, zo- Frankensteins? Yeah, more than one Frankenstein. Zombies, mummies, Dracula. I mean, they've all been in there. Werewolves, weird little alien dudes with just one eye. They have fought them all off, and we're going to celebrate those movies this month here on Monster Kid Radio. And I'm really, really excited because I found a movie that not a lot of you guys and gals have reported have heard of before. It is called The Macabre Legends of the Colony. It's a Mil Moscaris film. And because it's Mil Moscaris, there's only one man that I can bring to Monster Kid Radio to talk about that movie. And that is Frank Schildener. The man's an incredible author. He is a writing machine and he is a huge fan of all things Mil Moscaris. So, of course, he's going to be here to talk about this film with me. Also in this episode, of course, we have a little bit of listener feedback. Now, the song that you're hearing right now, it's called The Case of the Manic Mummy, and it comes from the album Mr. Creeper from the band The Alder Kings. Now, I haven't played The Alder Kings on the podcast in quite some time. However, they are somebody that we did play quite a bit during the first 100, 150 episodes of the podcast. They've been very supportive of Monster Kid Radio over the years, always giving us the okay to play their music, and I wanted to play their music one more time in honor of their fallen bandmate. Christopher Martinez, unfortunately, recently passed away, and he was a member of the band, and in honor of him, I wanted to go ahead and play a song from one of their albums. I never really had any direct interaction with Christopher myself, but uh, I've heard from a number of people who were friends with him that he was just one heck of a guy. Uh, Frank was a friend of his as well, and later on, Frank's going to talk about a charity book that he's doing. This is who it's for. So, yeah, I just wanted to say thank you for everything that he did for Monster Kid Radio and play a little bit of his music. Now, you're going to hear the song, The Case of the Manic Mummy, in its entirety at the end of this episode. Later on in this episode, you're going to hear some other music as well because it's Lucha de Mayo and we've got to play some other Lucha de Mayo specific music. You're going to hear all of that. You're going to hear the feedback and everything else that I talked about right after this. Dark Force Awakens. Manos, God of primal darkness, as thou hast decreed, so have I done. The hands of fate have doomed this man. Thy will is done. And only one being in the world can stop it. Santa Claus conquers. Manos, The Hands of Fate by Anthony Wendell, a comedy sequel for two of the worst movies ever made. Madam, it will be very dangerous to leave now. The master wants you. Santa has a little girl to save. I'll try, dear lady. He'll have to face a dark force to rescue her. And he'll need some help from a robot. Cord! 
Come out of the spaceship. Santa Claus Conquers, Manos the Hands of Fate by Anthony Wendell is available on Amazon. Check it out for yourself. Ho, ho, ho! Merry Christmas, everybody! But the room was quiet. Had it been a nightmare? What woke him? Was the candle in the antique mirror moving? Was there something standing by the curtains? Was he mad? The Crimson Cult. So terrifying, they won't let us tell you about it here. She'd wandered alone. The passageway between the walls was damp and musty. She dropped her candle. And then I heard it. Now she has no head. It happened in Horror House. I was there. A nightmare combination of shock and terror. And you're invited behind forbidden doors. Horror House stars Frankie Avalon and Jill Hayworth. The Crimson Cult features Boris Karloff and Christopher Lee. See them together for the first time. But don't see them alone. Rated GP. Daughter of Horror. Here is tense, taut, chill-filled drama that shocks you with hair-raising horror. Not one word is spoken on the screen. The strangest motion picture you have ever seen. Daughter of Horror. What number is it? What am I calling? You've reached the feedback section of the show. We had an email that came in from Jim H. Jim writes, thank you for reviewing the movie Gargoyles. These 1970s made-for-TV movies were a huge influence for monster kids of my age, born in the mid-60s. We grew up watching the classic Universal Hammer and AIP monster movies on TV, but were too young to see the 1970s horror films that were in the theaters. These made-for-TV movies, like The Night Stalker, Snow Beast, Gargoyles, etc., were an essential bridge between the classics and the then-modern. Scary, but not horrific, and wonderful entertainment for us kids. I remember Gargoyles was on opposite the network broadcast of West Side Story, which my sister had to watch. I could only watch Gargoyles during commercial breaks in West Side Story. I was only able to catch a few minutes of Gargoyles here and there through the evening, and those brief teasing scenes made it look like the most exciting movie ever. My imagination had to fill in the rest. I wasn't able to see the whole thing until maybe eight years later when I was in high school. Its cheapness and cheesy thrills will never detract from the years of excited memories of my few minutes of watching it at age seven. Thank you for a fun podcast. Keep up the good work and bringing back the great memories. Yours truly, Jim. So we just talked about Gargoyles with Steve Turek here on the show. I think it was even last week now that I think about it. But yeah, you know, that movie, that era of TV horror is just so cool. I don't think we've ever seen anything like it since. You know, we have more than just the four big networks now, and a lot of horror sometimes goes to the uh, network-adjacent shows, whether it's like FX, which is, I think, where American Horror Story ended up, uh, and then some of the streaming services as well, like Hulu's got the Castle Rock show, and, and things like that. I wish there was more horror readily available on the bigger networks like this. And who knows? They did bring back the Sunday night at the movies on CBS. Maybe every once in a while, they'll sneak in something a little spooky. 
I love these 70s movies. Now, I was a little bit older. I did not catch a lot of these during their first run on television. I was born in the early 70s. So I don't have any memories of watching The Night Stalker or Snow Beast or any of this stuff. I've come to it all a little late in the game. Now, I've made up for lost time, and I love this stuff. Man, Killdozer. I mean, Killdozer is one of my favorites from this era. I adore that. And horror author Ray Garten and I have talked a lot about him coming on the show to talk about one of these movies as well. There's a whole list of them. And then, of course, Dan Curtis and everything that he's done. I mean, there's a reason why we devote December to Dan Curtis here on Monster Kid Radio with Dan Sember, because all of his TV work is just phenomenal. So stay tuned. We're definitely going to be covering more of the 70s type horror that you saw on television from that era and, you know, some theatrical stuff as well. So... I hope you continue to enjoy it. Jim, thank you for writing in. I really appreciate hearing from you. And I'd love to hear from everybody else, too. If anybody has any feedback they'd like to share with the show about what we're talking about this week, what we've talked about in the previous 469 episodes, or just anything in general Monster Kid related, you can email me at monsterkidradio at gmail.com, or you can call and leave us a voicemail at 503-479-5657. That's 503-479-5MKR. And, of course, that information is available on our website. Thanks again, Jim. Pounding across the motion picture screen comes the most terrifying monster of them all. Gamera, the Invincible. Gamera, the super monster that even the H-bomb cannot destroy. Gamera, the Invincible. Gamera, consuming raw atomic power. Power to destroy entire cities. Man's most destructive weapons have no effect on Gamera the Invincible. The mightiest nuclear weapons ever devised are powerless against Gamera the Invincible. Is humanity doomed? Will the world be destroyed? The United Nations is called to emergency session in a last desperate effort to save the world. We have one plan that we think might work. We have discussed Plan Z with the Japanese authorities, and they agree it is the best of our alternative plans. Is that correct, sir? That is so. Plan Z is hope of the world. A cast of thousands at the mercy of the most terrifying monster that ever lived. Brian Donlevy as General Arnold. is beyond comprehension. He must be stopped now. Albert Decker as the Secretary of Defense. Will Plan Z stop Gamera? Gamera, the Invincible. The fantastic duel of the century, the most ferocious battle in history. The flesh and blood King Kong fights his most incredible enemy, a 60-foot robot King Kong forged of super steel. King Kong escapes. All new, all thrilling in Technicolor. King Kong battles missiles, monsters, and a King Kong of steel. King Kong escapes. A Toho Company limited picture, a universal release. Trapped. 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 <laughs> They're trapped in a whirlpool of shrieking fear. From the most fiendish idea ever conceived by the human brain. The Brainiac. And it has a friend. She was beautiful, desirable, and not altogether human. The curse 
of the crying women. Together they will trap you in a world of horror. But if you live through it, you will never forget. The Brainiac and the Curse of the Crying Women. So I had a meeting with Monster Kid Radio's HR department, and it turns out that I have to give the Count the month off. He's not going to be here to tell you there are spoilers coming. I think he was afraid of all the luchador action that's about to happen. So I'm just going to tell you flat out right now, spoilers ahead. Going on down to Mexico. time of year it is it is may but around here on monster kid radio we call it lucha de mayo and i said it right this time i'm so pleased with myself frank schuldener is our first guest as always how you doing frank i'm doing good and it's a pleasure to be back this is what our fourth or fifth time we've done this one you know lucha de mayo has been a thing i think for like the past three years or so i'd have to go back and look but we are slowly racking up the uh, movies that we've covered here on the show during this month. And I just adore these movies. I, mean, I love this stuff. Oh, yeah. This is probably the first theme month we've ever done, isn't it? I, I mean, I've done other theme months, but I think this is the one that's got the longest legacy. I think this one has the longest out of all of them. I mean, you've mm-hmm. done other theme months, but I don't think they've ever transferred to this many years and for yeah. this quality of film too <laughs> quality of film <laughs> um <laughs> i i do sometimes worry that sometimes i do too many theme months here and when i did put up a poll on the facebook page or group a while back asking listeners you know what they thought almost everybody said no matter what you do don't lose lucha de mayo so here we go. We are dedicated. We are fans of these movies. We are fans of professional wrestling. We are fans of monsters. Got to put them all together and have a good time. Frank, it's been a little while since we've had you on the show, though. So I want to know what's going on with you, man. Well, you know, uh, the same thing's going on for everybody on Earth at this point. Uh, we're all stuck inside <laughs> thanks to the pandemic, which isn't half as uh, dramatic as you'd see on Omega Man or Last Man on Earth. You know, I keep looking for Charlton Heston or Vincent Price, and they're not out there. I guess <laughs> I wonder why. Um, <laughs> because they're staying at home, too. That's what's <laughs> yeah. 
Um, you know, I'm working from home. I'm still writing. And, you know, I have a book that's coming out and Amazon's dragging their feet on it. Uh, my first spy novel is coming out in the next day, few days. Uh, oh, wow. Called uh, The Klaus Protocol. It's a World War II Soviet spy story. And uh, I am going to be releasing also a sword and sorcery kind of peplum story if you know uh, the italian muscle men type movie uh starring a character from history and mythology remus brother of romulus and there's a whole greek myth roman myth kind of storyline going there uh that's actually going to be for charity i'm releasing that one for a friend of mine who passed away recently of cancer so all the proceeds are going to go to one of the charities i'm looking at right now and, you know, I'm just trying to keep busy working out martial arts and always and watching movies. Well, I'm sorry to hear about your friend. Uh, please keep me posted about what's going to be going up online for sale when. And obviously, links in the show notes to everything that we do here on the show, including all of Frank's books. Uh, when you first said, I'm doing what everybody else is doing, I thought, wait a minute. Not everybody else is writing like two or three books a month. Come on. I don't quite have that up yet, but I'm trying. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. I guess I have a reputation now of being a pretty fast writer at this point. Can't actually argue with that because I have my friends always yelling at me. It's like, how do you do that? I don't know. I just sit down and start writing. And then when I'm done, it's done. (laughs) It's like... I don't get it myself. Well, you're a machine, man. You're a machine. And it was uh, because of you and having read some of the stuff that you've had published through Pro Se Press that I decided to go ahead and pitch them a book. And uh, yeah, that'll be something that I don't think we're allowed to talk about too much just yet, but it will be happening. I don't know. Is he planning to get that started by the end of the year? Probably, probably. Okay. Uh, Tommy's always working. In fact, he's releasing a book from of mine this month. Yeah. Uh, it's a fantasy short story collection set in Roman times, uh, starring a a Roman priest, a very well bred Roman priest in the pre imperial days, the pre the days of Julius Caesar when he was rising, and his second uh, his partner really is a blonde German gladiatrix, a female gladiator who has a very unusual way of looking at the Roman society. So there's a lot of humor to it as well. They're an interesting pair. It's very Fafford and Grey Mouser and a lot of humor to to the stories because her viewpoint is actually a little closer to what what ours would be, a little more sensible, whereas he thinks that all things non-Roman are stupid and useless. And so there's a lot of humor to it. Like he, when he's traveling through Greece, he's thinking that this is the most beautiful place on earth. It would be better if there were no Greek people there. <laughs> that's that's how, well, that's how Romans thought back then. And he was a very well-bred Roman. It was a, from a family that lasted into the fifth century, I believe, the Fabius Maximus clan. They still lasted to like the fifth century. So there's a lot of very uh, Roman view- ways of viewing things and a lot of humor to that as well. And plenty of horror and fantasy. So I'm hoping that'll work out because there's a novel following it at the end of the year. Right on. Yeah, well, let's hope. <laughs> very, very cool. Well, Frank, as always, you are more than welcome to mention any of these books when they come out uh, over in the Facebook group for Monster Kid Radio. I mean, you're one of us, so we definitely want to help get the word out about all of your stuff coming out, even if it is like, you know, 15, 20 books a year. We want to. <laughs> yeah, because there's another one coming in June. The I know. Fourth, the, 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 yeah, shocking. I know. Um, the next Napoleon Vampire Hunter is coming out, the third one. 
That's exciting, yeah. man. That's exciting. Well, that's me. I'm the, I'm the crazy writer, but my wife likes it because it means hours of quiet for me. Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> what do you think? We were married for over 25 years. I, she can. She says, go write, and she knows it's going to be two hours. She can do anything she likes. Hmm. She's got her thumbs up on the minute I said that. <laughs> got a thumb up from the other end of the room. She loves the quiet time. So are we saying that we actually owe your wife for all the books that you've been putting out lately? on the nose there <laughs> her view that's it excellent she gets a she gets a thank you in every book so right on very cool man well i'm excited that you're still writing and uh, you're able to get some work done from home and that sort of thing i know the time that it is right now you know, with everything going on it's it's kind of nuts you know, at least we got our monster movies to keep us busy and our luchador films which i definitely want to talk about this one with you i'm really excited to get in this one but you know frank there's something we got to do first and i've been kind of forgetting to do this with some guests so i'm not going to forget this time oh good i know what's coming oh yeah the classic five so for listeners who don't know the classic five is a game that we play here on monster kid radio it's a deck of cards here i've got this or that which style movie do you prefer questions wait a minute that didn't make any sense i kind of stumbled over that but i think listeners know what it is bottom line is it's a game that we play there are no wrong answers frank are you ready to play the classic five oh absolutely because i always give you at least one answer where you just don't know what to say well hey you know i look forward to it card number one right off the top what's your favorite monster plant movie monster plant movie uh, triffids obviously the day of the triffids when terror rains from the sky, the day of the Triffids, when the Earth orbits into a nightmare, when the solid world of everyday reality disintegrates, and the whole population is driven by fear towards insanity. The day of the Triffids, when destruction closes in from every side. Those things scared the heck out of me as a little kid. And the funny thing was, I was absolutely, when I saw it as a little kid, I was terrified. And then when the secret reason that they were killed came out, I looked at my father and said, that's it. And he just burst out laughing because he saw how terrified I was of those things. <laughs> it was like, that's it? Really? <laughs> Even a little kid could not quite get that. So yeah, that's still the one that probably sends the chills in me. Okay. All right, Dave, the Triffords card number two. What movie could have used just a little bit of Vincent Price to make it just a little bit better? What movie could have used a little bit of Vincent Price to make it a little better? House of Frankenstein. Oh, okay. House of Frankenstein, Vincent Price playing off of John Carradine's Dracula. Would have taken that whole movie to another level, I think. So Price would have played the uh, the scientist doctor role yeah okay yeah i think so i think that would have been i think it just would have made it made it a little different either that or or house of dracula either one it would have made it from more more from just a collection of characters playing off each other to kind of a classic i think so there you go there we go all right i like it card number three what is your favorite flying kaiju King Ghidorah. I mean, I love that. Love that three monster. My wife is saying no. She likes Rodan better, but uh, no. <laughs> sorry, sorry, no. And Gamera has always been low on my list, but yeah, no. It's always been King Ghidorah. I mean, I think that is one of the scariest kaiju going, and the recent appearance in the the new movie really added to the 
giant flavor of the character when it was bigger and scarier than most. I really had a great time with that. So, yeah, that's always been one of my favorite kaiju, period. Frank, I love you, man. Mm. But I'm siding with your wife here. Rodan all the way. I understand it. Rodan is a great character, especially like Rodan in the old days. The sound effect was jet noises. Yep. I always loved that. And I Rodan, what I always used to tell people to think, oh, well, Rodan doesn't do much. Rodan destroys whole cities just flying past. That's right. That's what I was trying to tell people. It's like Godzilla takes time. He has to actually scientifically destroy a city one piece at a time. Rodan flies over. It's gone. <laughs> so Rodan is pretty terrifying. Don't get me wrong. But no, nah, King Ghidorah has always been the one I really thought was the coolest. Just seeing the those Chinese dragon heads and the, the scary, creepy sounds that came from it and they're all moving in different directions, you know. But yeah, I, I see the point of that. As long as it's not Gamera, I'm fine with it. Hey, well, Gamera from the it. 90s was pretty cool, though. Gamera from the 90s was a different thing. Gamera from yeah. the 90s, you know, is a scary, strong story. I get those movies. Those three movies were really well made. And, you know, they almost became classics because of that. But, you know, Gamera, the friend of children, the giant flying turtle as a kid, I was like, oh, I don't like cutesy things. You know how I am about that. You've known me a long time, <laughs> man. And cutesy just doesn't fly with me. And that's what that was at times. And it's just like, no. So I get I get where people like the 90s versions, but ugh, the old ones. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough, man. Fair there enough. You go. All right. Well, that was, so was three. So card four. <laughs> I find this amusing because it was actually through your story about a giant bug, a giant bug monster that prompted me to reach out to you. And it's actually how I met you, basically. Yeah, big old scorpion. Yep. And the question is, what is your favorite big bug monster movie? Big bug monster movie. Ooh, that's a tough one. Probably Tarantula. But what if circumstances were to magnify one of them in size and strength? took it out of its primitive world and turned it loose in ours. Then expect something that's fiercer, more cruel and deadly than anything that ever walked the earth. Even science was stunned. The new atomic miracle should have been mankind's greatest boon. Instead, when such power to cause phenomenal growth proved dangerously unstable, man was confronted with his most shocking blunder. The isotope triggered our nutrients into a nightmare. A blunder that transformed a tiny insect into the hundred-foot spider that was now ravaging the panic-stricken countryside. As a little kid, even on a black-and-white TV, that was scary. Giant spiders creeped me out anyway, so it just like, holy damn. I mean, that was some tough stuff. So yeah, I, I'd say Tarantula would probably top it on the list. Uh, there was The 50s and 60s and part of the 70s had some really great giant insect movies and bugs and all of that. And before, you know, people would say, you know, but the square cubed law, it's like, oh, shut up. <laughs> you know, it's like a, there's occasional times when scientific ignorance is fun. Don't do it when you're we're dealing with a pandemic. But when you're watching a movie, just shrug your shoulders and say, oh, all, right, all right, whatever. You know, that's what I tell people all the time. It's a movie. You know, the, I had one person once when I was in high school, the new James Bond came out. He says, oh, well, it's always so phony with all the special effects and the machines in there. It's like, it's a movie. Get over yourself. <laughs> you know, I've been saying that since I was a kid. It's like, you know what? Of course, there are no giant bugs flying around or kaiju or any of that stuff. They're still fun. 
That's all you got to have to do for this but, stuff. Wait, are, you saying that, are you saying the movies aren't real? Frank. Oh, well, some movies are. <laughs> okay. Okay. All right. Final card. Final question. What is your favorite Ray Kellogg film? The Giant Gila Monster or The Killer Shrews? Oh, Killer Shrews. Really? Yeah, Killer Shrews. It was so stupid, it was awesome. The cold, glossy pages of True Magazine call the Killer Shrew the world's most savage mammal. You'll never venture into a forest alone after you see The Killer Shrews with James Best and Ingrid Good, motion picture horror masterpiece. The Killer Shrews. <laughs> it was so stupid, it was awesome. It's like, really? I'm supposed to be scared of shrews? Really? It's like, no, that movie just cracked me up. The giant Gila monster was good. Don't get me wrong. You know, it, it, it's good grade Z stuff. But the killer shrews just had me laughing my head off the whole time. So even as a little kid, I thought that was one of the funniest movies going. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah, killer shrews. That was easy on me. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. That's the classic five, Frank. You survived. Absolutely. You survived the classic five. We should have that done as a T-shirt. That would be a good. I survived the classic. I like that. Yeah, that's actually a good idea. That's a good. Yeah. Idea. I survived the classic five and four, and I even managed to get my usual hammer horror line in in there too. So got to have the hammer. Yeah, well, I had I had to mention the hammer and suggest about the women. You know, that's always been my thing. I can't think of any recording session we've done in which you've not mentioned women in hammer films. I don't always include it in the show, but I know it's always come up with you. <laughs> Well, I understand why. It's very easy to understand why if I name, you know, Ingrid Pitt and uh, Carolyn Monroe off the top of my head right there. I mean, that's not even going very deep into it. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, right that's, on. that's that's one of the themes that you, listeners, it's out there in, a, in recording sessions. Doesn't mean it always gets in. Well, what is going to get in is our in-depth conversation about this incredibly deep, well-thought-out, well-constructed, well-directed film featuring some of the best acting I've ever seen. I cannot wow. keep that up. That in wow. quotes, I could even tell from here. <laughs> you felt the air quotes from there? Oh, Lord, all the way across the nation, yes. So we're talking about a film whose Spanish title I'm not going to attempt. Listeners know I can't roll my R's. I, I just can't do Spanish. Uh, are you able to pull off the Spanish title here? Oh, not even close. Okay. okay. I, if, I, if I try, I will offend every Spanish-speaking person on the planet in one shot. But uh, let's give it a shot anyway. Uh, forget it. I'm looking at it now. It's like, forget <laughs> it. I, I just can't. I'll, I will, I'll destroy the first word alone. All right. Well, it <laughs> translates to Macabre Legends of the Colony. It's from 1974, and when Frank comes on talking about luchador movies, we've got to have a movie featuring our guy, the man of a thousand masks. Mil Mascaras, the man himself. A man from the classic wrestling period who is still active. Yeah, is he still performing? Is he still getting occasionally, in the ring? Occasionally, not a lot, but he's still out there. He's still making appearances in masks, and he still has a thousand of them. And you see a few of them in this movie. Some real cool ones, too. Yeah, Mills, for lack of a better term, gimmick, is that he changes his masks quite often from scene to scene. My first exposure to him was actually in one of the more recent films that he had done, and I was quite amused by the amount of mask changes that took place. And as you go through and look at his filmography, I don't think you'll see the same mask twice. 
Well, there is one that he does a silver and black mask. He wears as almost a routine. It's almost the more familiar one that you'll see with him a lot. Right, right. Yeah, uh, he has weird. he has so many, literally thousand. And his gimmick, and this is well before I knew he was a movie actor. He was a when he was a wrestler uh, mm-hmm. full time. Is he would go into the ring and he'd pull off one mask, and there's another mask underneath. He's been doing that since the '60s, so it obviously is working for the man. So good for him. Mil Mascaras was, for those of you who don't know, he was a judo guy. He was an Olympic judo wrestler who, because his country Mexico could not afford it. He wasn't able to go to the Olympics and he went into wrestling because it was a good business. He has a fantastic build. He still has a fantastic build. The man had, he was tall. He had a great build and some movie producers realized that the Lucha movies were making money. So they wanted to do a self-created one and they used him because he had a fantastic build. He was a very good flying wrestler. He knew how to do stuff. And so they created this idea of Thousand Masks. That's his real name, Thousand Mask. And they even had a contest where if you designed a mask for him, you got a 25 peso reward out of it. And it was actually used. So some people actually designed some of these masks over the uh, in that period. And it became a very big hit because he was a very good wrestler and he was very good on screen. Unfortunately, he came towards the end of the Lucha movie period during the boom. So he didn't get as much time in. He only did about 20 of them. And his bests are really the ones where he was teamed up with the Blue Demon, who has done many, many more movies. And they just had a great partnership together when they would work together. It was a very enjoyable thing to watch them play off each other. Um, He was very natural on camera. I guess he just transferred his wrestling skills over to that. And I actually had the pleasure to see him, as Derek knows, that's why we choose him, twice as a little kid in 75 and 76 in New Jersey, where I got to see him wrestling. And he was just fantastic. He just had such amazing talent to watch. And uh, even my father wasn't particularly interested in wrestling, was very impressed with the acrobatics the man could do. Also in this movie are two other wrestlers, one of which Derek absolutely loves. Tiendas, uh, I guess, uh, the El Gigante. He's this very tall former bodybuilder turned wrestler whose uh, mask is a yellow. I'm colorblind, I'm guessing. Yeah, yellow, like yellow a, or gold, yeah. Yeah, like a gold with a black strip across where the eyes would be. So you never really see his face. And he has a really fantastic build. He's a very good wrestler, too. And the whole story behind him was that he's a giant from space who came to help people and all that. It's <laughs> took up the theme, I believe, uh, Tiana Blas, uh Jr., which is a common thing in Mexico, which just is amazing to me, that second and third generation people wearing the similar masks. I mean, Santos, I think, in the third or fourth. Yeah, so, Frank, you actually cut off uh, the first Tiana second. Jr. actually is not related to Right. You you actually just got out there for a second, but I do want to, I know what you were saying, but just for listeners who didn't catch it, uh, there is a Tiana Bless Jr. who is his actual son, right? Yeah. And uh, so he's now performing. Yeah, um, he is actually his son. Yeah. Uh, Blue Demon Jr., on the other hand, is not related. Yeah, he was adopted, but. But he's going to be in a TV show, actually, on Disney. Has that happened? I know when that was first announced. Not yet. 
And the third luchador in this is, uh, oh, we're going into the Spanish now, uh, El Fantasma Blanco. I guess it's the white ghost, I believe it is. Now, this is somebody I know very little about. So if you've got anything... Well, I know a little about him. He's an Argentinian wrestler who wrestled under many masks and lost at least one of them to Tiana to, to Tiana Blas, okay. under the uh, his name was I think in El Internacional to Tiana Blas. He actually lost his mask. Now, for those of you who don't know, one of the heights of wrestling in Mexico's themes in masked wrestling is you would bet your mask against another person's mask and the loser has to take his mask off and hand it to you. It's a very common thing to this day that's been going back to many years, like an honor system. Now, if you're not wearing a mask and you do one of these bets, you would bet your hair and you get shaved right there in the ring. The masks are taken very seriously. Now, not all luchadors wear masks. All right. Some, some, no, no, not, most of them. Yeah. Don't. I mean, in, I feel like we're seeing fewer and fewer as time goes on, but it is taken pretty seriously. If you are unmasked anywhere and you try to come back to Mexico and wear the mask, they will not let you because you were unasked. Now you have to actually take up a new identity. You want to do that. And some people do this person who played El Fantasma wore several masks over the course of time and lost one or two of them over the years. But he he's still around. He's a he's an Argentinian wrestler. I don't know if he's still active in that, but I think from what I gather, he's still alive. So the thing is, this movie starts in a most unusual way, not with a wrestling scene. Oh, no, we get plenty of that later. Oh, boy. We get plenty more than we yeah, expected. Um, yeah, before we get to that, though, I do want to say, again, somebody I was talking with the other day who not a huge fan of these films. He said one of the reasons he's not a huge fan of these films is he just doesn't have the uh, the interest in pro wrestling or luchador or, or any of that. You know, so these long scenes always feel like padding to him. I have to say, in this one, it felt like padding to me. It does go on for quite some time. It felt like padding to me, and I've seen over a yeah. hundred of these things. This movie's viewers, before you watch it, go into it with the understanding the set, the, like the third scene of the movie is a 25-minute wrestling match. 25 minutes. I didn't time it. Minutes. I didn't realize it was that long. I wow. actually did. I The second time I watched it, which was recently, I actually wondered how long that was, and I timed it. It's almost 25 minutes of a movie that's about an hour and 25 uh, minutes. Yeah, and... If that, oh, it's about an yeah, hour yeah, and 20, right. 25 and minutes. I, I didn't realize it was that long, and I'm going to be honest, the wrestling isn't the best. I've seen better wrestling in other luchador films i don't know if this oh, yeah. was a match that was staged for the movie or like they did with some of the santo films they would just use footage from an existing bout and then put it into the film but whatever the source of it was it just it seemed to move slow to me the heels or the rudos i guess they were going up against didn't seem all that impressive so yeah uh just know there's a 25 minute sequence and unlike some films where there are cutaways to the crowd to actually see some story happening very little of that here, too. So if you're interested, feel free to fast forward. Part of the problem also was they have three wrestlers and only used two in the ring. I felt like the third guy just oh, didn't. Fun. Yeah, he was just kind of like a tag along. He did very, very little. In fact, one of the fight scenes later in the movie, 
all his fighting is happening off screen. You see the guy yeah. that he's fighting kind of bounce into the screen a little bit and then go back off screen to go fight him again. So you barely yes. see him. He, he wasn't even needed for the film. But Yeah, uh, well, this was, uh, like I said earlier, this was a period when the, the movies were going a little even lower budget than low. And most of them were shot in Guatemala on shoestrings. And the guy who directed and I think he partially wrote it was Arturo Martinez. And this is a guy who had a career all the way up until he died as an actor and a director. He worked pretty steadily, but his movies are the opposite of classics. And he did, uh, I think four of the Mel Mascaras movies. He did one where Mel Mascaras was more of a ending kind of story, but he also did two others, the mummies of San Angelo and, uh, the what's the name of the vampire movie uh oh it's not coming to me right now um he did direct them and he always used to put himself into them uh, as well oh the vampire los vampiros of coyacan most of them were pretty much done in guatemala for lower budgets the thing is about arturo martinez movies is he really doesn't understand how to frame the music to the scene itself, because there are some times where you're sit where the music changes and you're like, what? This does not seem like music for fight music. This seems like circus music going at it. I mean, it was <laughs> that is some of the charm to some of these movies. And and I think oh, yeah. it was Keith Rainville in, in who was the man behind from Parts Unknown magazine. He released a book years ago. Uh, forget the name of it. Darn it. I'll try to find it and make sure it's in the show notes. It was about these mummy films, and I think he described it as like a Zamboni ice cream machine music that was just not playing. I can't remember the exact phrase, but well, he's definitely at the point. Yeah, it compared. It was compared to like this weird, wacky ice cream truck music. Yeah, he he nailed it. That's exactly what it sounds like. It sounds mo- most of the time you're getting weird ice cream truck music, and I love it. Don't get me wrong. I think it actually adds to the charm. I think the opening title scenes, the opening title sequences to all these films, I love because you get like the flashy colors and sometimes you see a luchador and you got this wonky music and it's just fun. You know what you're in for. But you are absolutely right. There are times in this film when he uses music that I would personally not choose. And then he takes it the extra step and just loops it for a good 15, 20 minutes. <laughs> oh, Come on. Yeah. And yeah. When, you're, when you're getting this ice cream music during a big <laughs> fight scene, it's like you're, you're, you really, you know what you're getting into when it's like, okay, I, this is definitely surreal stuff, but hey, I'm on the ride. You got to understand people, when you watch a luchador movie, you go with the idea that these luchadors are considered real superheroes in Mexico. And the police consult them and everything like that. But they cut a lot of that stuff out this time because I don't think Arturo Martinez, before he got into this, actually watched many of these movies. The whole theme to most of these movies is most of these guys are experts at, besides fighting, the supernatural and police and criminals and stuff like that. But when all the strange stuff starts happening, the guy who's the big star, Mel Mascaras, is like, oh, well, that's not true. That's not what's happening. It can't happen that way. Right. He's fought killer dwarves who could throw him through walls and, you know, sci-fi gadgets and mummies and monsters. And now he doesn't believe in any of it. 
I was really surprised at that because there are some that do maintain that thread. You know, the Champions of Justice and then the follow-ups to that. It's still, okay, we're superheroes and we fight evil and this is what we do. But then a movie like this comes along and it's like a complete reset. It's like you, I, it, it felt kind of awkward to me. You know, I, I just want to read the plot summary from the Internet Movie Database. Now, I don't normally resort to this, but I really want to get into some other matters with this movie with Frank. So I just want to go over this real quick. This is what yeah. user Pencho15 had to say about the film. The Mexican luchador Teneobles buys an ancient painting of a dead woman, ignoring the warning that it is haunted. Later, after a fight, his partners, El Fantasma Blanco and Mel Mascaris, joins him in a party at his apartment with two beautiful ladies. But when the clock reaches midnight, the painting transports them to colonial times. In order to return home, they must face Spanish conquistadors, Aztec warriors, and an evil witch whose mother, an unstoppable living dead hungry for human sacrifices, is the woman in the painting. Now, this summary does summarize the film, but makes it sound bigger than it is. Makes it sound much more intelligent and well-plotted than it really was. Yeah. And I'm going to give you a theory in a minute where it comes from. Now, the Mexican wrestlers, when they're masked, they wear the mask everywhere. So he's in a nice suit in this antique shop. I love it. And I love the way it, he looks, man. <laughs> yeah. He actually – I that's the thing I was going to say. One of the coolest parts of this is when these guys are walking around in full suits with the mask, there's something totally cool about them. Mm -hmm. It's just like they, and this guy with his totally hidden face and the gold head and the the visor kind of look to it just looks ten times cooler. It's one of the coolest Mexican wrestling masks I've ever seen in my life. Well, the whole character is this is why he's one of my favorites. I hadn't seen him perform. I didn't see him do anything. I just saw a picture of him, and I thought that ring gear, that mask, and when he's just out on the town wearing a suit with that mask, he's tall like me, not. I'm not that I'm built like him, but you know, he's this big, tall guy with this. It just is an imposing, cool as hell figure. Yeah, it really is. He really has this really great style. And he's in this antique shop and he sees this painting, which is god awful ugly. It's this woman who is like half skeleton, half human, reclining with a person standing nearby in a conquistador kind of look. It is. So stupid and ugly looking, but I love it. I loved it. And he says, oh, I really want that. And the, we, we go literally back to old TV and movies where the old owner of the store says, no, no, I've sold it three, four times and it always comes back. It's cursed. It's evil. And Tiana Bliss is like, ah, forget it. I'll take it anyway. <laughs> it's like, you know, half these problems would stop if people would just stop and listen to the basic rules. You know? Well, yeah. You don't feed the gremlin after midnight. You know, that should really be the easy part of life. But these guys <laughs> just never get that. And what follows then is one of the funniest sequences in any of these movies because it's probably wasn't even acted. It pulls into the match where they're inside the dressing room. Mil Mascaras and Tiana Blas are messing around with each other, saying, ah, you suck. You're the reason we lost last time and back and forth. And it was so guys in locker room. That it was actually kind of funny. It felt very natural. The chemistry yeah, between these two. I don't think two, they were acting. I think they were actually just making fun of each other and having a little bit of fun. 
if you stop paying attention to the ladies, you know, we'd probably do better. Oh, come on. They're beautiful. What can you do? Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, exactly. It's very it natural. So, it felt very, the most natural moment of the movie really was that. Yeah. Their relationship, they, they, they're back and they forth. One yeah. back and forth. And El Fantasmo Blanco has to come in and say, all right, all right, break it up. You know, like the coach would always do. Yeah. It was honestly, it was like going back to high school, watching them to do this. It was really kind of funny. Then you get 25 minutes of wrestling. And oh, and god-awful wrestling, It's not too. the best, I mean, man. I've seen we're, so much we're, better. We're, we're talking $5, $5 gym wrestling that you pay for. I mean, this they don't even really introduce the other two guys. Yeah. Usually you get a couple of characters. You know, one like the last one you and I did, uh, one of them was like the hippie. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, in all of that, you get something out of it. They have this one guy who looks like a luchador, just a tall, uh, kind of semi-muscular guy, but in the old school. And then the other guy was this bald guy with a huge beard and a and you got 25 minutes of this, people. And the only cut from these 25 minutes was these two actresses who were obviously in there that Tiana Blossis keeps waving to. They're played by uh, Denora Judith, who didn't have much of a career, as far as I know. She, I think, only acted in, like, one other movie. And the other one, Nancy Vega, uh, had something of a career, but I think there was a big gap in her career, but nothing much there. They weren't very well known. Uh, Nancy Vega's a little prettier than Denora Judith, but they were... They were attractive. They looked very good. And as was the theme in these movies, they had mini skirts that were so small, you they really shouldn't. They were more like bikinis. So they go through this 25 minutes of wrestling, and then they go back to Tiana Bless's place for a little party with the girls. So this is probably my favorite moment with Tiana Bless because they come out, the girls aren't in shot. It's just the three wrestlers and they're talking about the match and, you know, the ladies and Tiana Bless actually promises Mill, okay, you're right. I'm going to be more focused. I'm going to stop paying. Hey, look at that. And you know, he's looking at the ladies off screen and he pops his collar and he struts off and he's got the swaggers like, dude, that's the guy. That's yeah. the guy I want to party with, man. Yeah, because the minute he sees the girls and they're going to go back, he he's like, don't worry about it. And he goes right off to the girls. <laughs> yeah, like, just the way he popped that collar, too, as he's walking, like, man, that's smooth. That's the guy. <laughs> yeah, it was right out of Saturday Night Fever, uh, yeah. Travolta. That same yeah. kind of strutting motion the minute he sees the girls. <laughs> I love this is my favorite interaction. My favorite moment in this whole film is him with his swagger. I just I just loved it. Yeah, it was <laughs> such a funny little moment there. And the, the, the thing that makes it 10 times more amusing to watch is you can't see his face. So you got this mask guy doing this strutting 70s yes. disco kind of thing going for the girls. But he's wearing a mask. So it's like, it's a real, real disjointed moment to that too. But the way he's moving, it was like right out of that. I loved it. I loved it so much. But then we go back to his place for the party. And the minute they see the painting, which is now over the mantle, over the fireplace, everybody's telling him it's god awful ugly, which it is. And he starts telling the story about what happens that it's cursed. And one of the girls is like, well, it's cursed. I'm getting out of here. And they're like, no, no, stay, stay. And Fantasmo Blanco basically makes her stay. And the painting starts smoking. 
<laughs> now, Mill during this whole time is like, no, there's no such thing as curses. It's just an ugly painting. Yeah, none of this is real. Whatever. It's like, Mill, you've fought mummies and monsters. You know there's something weird out there, man. That's but right. It's whatever. like, you know, you, you fought against guys who came back from hell as wrestlers. Why are you pulling this scully routine all of a sudden? Yeah, I mean, it was. <laughs> but okay, whatever. The room fills with smoke. And suddenly they're back in colonial times. Yeah. They turn around and look around. It's like, okay, what happened? And Mill immediately knows they're back in colonial times. But he doesn't believe it, but he knows it. Yeah, he he knows all this stuff, but he doesn't believe it. Later on in the film, he just kind of tells them, none of this is real. This is all fake. Just It's all a dream. It, it's all a yeah, dream. Yeah, just, just, yeah. Now, they're apparently back in old Mexico, and the first thing they see are two guys dressed up in French musketeer outfits. <laughs> <laughs> Which cracked me up to no end. They looked literally like one guy playing the musketeer and another guy playing the Cardinal's guard. I mean, that's the exact look. Whatever they did, they must have literally walked into a costumer's, okay, we'll take the musketeer look. (laughs) That's what they were dressed as. They even had came complete with the old rapiers. So this one guy is going to this house, and he's even got the beard and mustache right out of the musketeer period and the hat with the feather and all of that. And another guy steps out of shadows and says, if you go near this woman – I'm going to kill you. And they start having the most god-awful, boring duel you'll ever see in your life. Two guys <laughs> tapping swords against each other for a while. With this music that is so out of place. Oh, my. Uh, yes. It, I it, was watching it earlier today, in fact, on uh, out here in the living room. And Brenda's been working from home you know, with everything going on and all that. So she's in the dining room area that we've converted to our computer area maybe less than 10 feet away from where I'm watching this movie. And I just see her poke her hand out up into the air. And she's like making this orchestral, like she's conducting music kind of motion because it's this weird classical kind of sort of. Yes. But it's, it's closer to like waltz music than, yeah. than fighting music. There you go. That's perfect. And what's double funny with this is right while this is being made around this period is when they were shooting the Three Musketeers with some of the best sword fighting in movie history under the gentleman who did the vampire part in Captain Kronos. He was one okay. of um, names Hobbs, and he recently passed away. He was literally the expert on film fencing, and whenever he did it, he did it. You always got like the best fencing on earth. So while this tappity 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 is going on, he's off somewhere in <laughs> you know filming these amazing scenes with Oliver Reed and all of these great actors, you know, with under the three and the four musketeers movie. So it was just like a kind of an ironic thing to me. Um, tappity, tappity, tappity. That's what we're going to call yeah, it. Yeah. The tappity, on. tappity fencing. It was just, it, you know, <laughs> it, you know, it's like, I raise mine. We tap here. We raise it to the other side, tap it here. Now we go low and tap, tap. So one of the guys, the guy who had come to visit, who was threatened by the man from the shadows gets stabbed. And, Watching the fight scene, as well as the wrestlers and the two pretty girls, is Lenora Velasquez. 
Uh, Lenora, Lenora Velasquez was one of the screen sirens and one of the beauties of Mexico. I, w- I want to cut in here real quick. Lorena Velasquez? Lorena Velasquez. Um, excuse me. I, that's, my that's memory okay. is definitely a sieve these days. Lorena Velasquez was acting since the 50s, but she made herself kind of famous in Mexico through luchador films. Mm-hmm. And she's best known to Americans under the movies Samson and the Vampire Women or Santo and the Vampire Women, where she played the Queen of Vampires. She is a very beautiful woman with very high cheekbones and really amazing eyes. And part of the theme music when they show her is they focus on her eyes a bunch of times. And apparently she's a witch. Sure. There's like literally no setup. It's like, oh, she's yep. a witch. Oh, no, there's a little setup because there's some weird looking dude playing a piano telling us a story and mentioned. Some, oh, oh. Gosh, I did forget that. Now, here's the thing. This came out of left field. They go back in time. We're in the tappity tappity. And inside this church playing an organ and not really playing it is this. It's the Crypt Keeper. It basically is, right? And he's talking and laughing and doing all the Crypt Keeper things. But not nearly as good. And every time he touches the organ, it mixes with the already playing organ music. Basically, he's going on the organ while real organ music is playing in the background. And he's narrating it. Yeah, he turns up like maybe two or three times over the course of a very short period of time in the film. But he didn't introduce the film. He's nowhere to be seen before they go back in time. And he doesn't end the film. He's just kind of thrown in there. And I I don't know what that was all about. Well, I have a theory. Arturo Martinez took the story and it's he's listed as adapting it. Okay. Which means he probably rewrote parts of it. Okay. So I honestly think he took the things that he added from two locations. The first is the Tales of the Crypt comics. Okay. Which were very available back then. Sure. I mean, this is the 70s, so yeah. Right. And I think he took the majority of the all the sequences that are following now in the past, that in this past period, from Scooby-Doo. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I could see that, but not nearly as active or participatory. Oh, no. There's a lot of just – they're just watching everything happen. But, yeah, I could see that. They're watching everything happen. They're walking around the same, like, hiding kind of way. They're even hiding in that stupid way that (laughs) Scooby-Doo, you know, did. There's a scene, people, where they're hiding in in this – place and these guys in bad wigs who are supposed to be Aztec warriors are walking past. Now, one or two people hiding behind a wall, you could walk past it. I, I could see that, but not five. Three of which are wearing very colorful masks. Yeah. Very colorful masks, suits, and girls in two mini skirts with go-go boots. Yeah. They're all hiding. Now, they're supposed to be hiding behind like like a staircase outside, like a stone staircase. And so when you walk towards it, you don't see it. But they sticking out so far, you could have seen it from a mile away. Yeah. I I swear, I'm positive he stole large sequences of this movie from Scooby-Doo. Because there's such a let's go search this way attitude. And they even had the two girls. Yeah, good point. So which one is Scooby? Which one is Scooby out of the mix? 
Well, it has to be Phantasmo because he did nothing. Okay. Tiana Bluss has to be uh, Shaggy, and the leader was Mel Mascara, so he's Fred. Okay, okay. Nancy Vega was uh, was probably Daphne because she was a little prettier and wearing a miniskirt. Okay. That's all. You know, this is my theory on this movie. But now, this is what I want to see. I want to see the Scooby gang meet up with some luchadors. They're still doing Scooby-Doo movies where they're crossing over with wrestlers and all that. I want to see them go south of the border and meet up with Mill. That's what I want. Oh, of course. Or maybe, or or Blue Demon Jr. Yeah. Or one of the Santo family. You know, sure. there's a lot in there. Hey, they crossed over with Supernatural. Why can't they cross over with the luchadors? Come on. That's right. We get Lorena Velasquez. You know, she's watching people die and laughing her head off. So she comes outside and brings the <laughs> wounded guy inside and immediately sacrifices him. Because that's what you do? I, I don't that's know. That's what you do when you're, a, you're an evil witch and your mother is in the closet. <laughs> yeah, okay. Can we talk about the mother in the closet? Yes. Now, one of the fun <laughs> parts of luchador cinema is their budget is pretty much zero. So... When they do things, they try to set things as simple as possible. So basically, the Crypt Keeper mentions that her mother was the most powerful, dangerous, evil witch of all time. They open this door, basically this uh, gate. There is a person in there standing, not in a coffin, not in a chair, nothing. There is this female figure with a wax skeleton face. And the cheapest, most god-awful looking whitish kind of hair you would ever see in your life, standing there in this colorful dress, just standing there, with her arms crossed while standing. So I'm going to defend that choice, actually. Uh, You know, I don't think that was necessarily a budget thing, because in Mexico, mummies were a thing, especially in Guanajuato. I mean, they didn't just exists in the films. They really do have these tombs opened up that tourists can go into and the mummies are actually just standing there against the wall. So I'm wondering if that's just kind of like their default. This is how mummies stand, you know? It could be, but it's also simpler because you don't have to pay well, for that's it. True. That's true. Yeah, mummies are kind of like the default monster in a lot of these films from this era. And that's because of like the mummies of Guanajuato and and that's just a thing in their cultural past or cultural history. Mummies were a thing uh, in this culture, and they became kind of the default big baddie. And that's mentioned earlier in the film, too, when Mill is talking about the painting before they get transported. And he starts rattling off, you know, yeah, you know, of course. Sure, there are things like mummies and the, and the crying lady, La Llorna, and all this other stuff. So it does get mentioned. I do appreciate that it is giving us a little taste of Mexican supernatural folklore. I like that. Yeah, and Lorena, actually, it was in a bunch of these oh, yeah. movies fighting uh, them, where she was actually in the Luchadora movies, where she was one of the two big stars of those movies. In fact, later this month, we are doing one of these movies with Mark Peterson. Dr. Tong is coming on, and we're going to talk about wrestling women versus the Aztec mummy. Oh, there you go. Lorena, when she's laughing, she's like, I am going to do the every evil witch laugh you can possibly find in one minute. And her assistants, like I said, are all of the, are supposed to be Aztec warriors, though they look about as much Aztec as I do. But you can tell they are native because every time they're on screen, you hear bum, 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 bum. That's where I was going. And they tried to give them 
weapons that were sort of in period. There is a club, which if I try to pronounce it, I'll, it, I'll be spitting on the screen. It's very hard to pronounce it, but it's a club with obsidian chips around the side and it's so viciously deadly but because obviously they didn't want to cut anyone or they didn't really think too hard they just gave them basically wooden clubs in the same shape they didn't even paint it so that it looked like it was a real wooden like an obsidian club and those clubs were vicious so when these guys are walking around Every time they have them with this tom-tom music. And so Lorena (laughs) sacrifices this guy and immediately is doing it for her mother. They don't tell it like he's trying to bring the mother back or anything like that, just doing it for her mother. You know, there's no real storyline here on what's going on. And to add to that, we are almost driven to believe that She's not the villain in this piece before she starts sacrificing people. Uh, in fact, right. the way it's kind of set up, it almost looks like, hey, there's a wounded man out there. Let's bring him inside so I can get him, you know, take care of him, get him taken care of. But no, it's, you know, so you get in there, slay him out, stab him, moving on. That's it. Stab him. And then they come to arrest her. Well, they come to arrest her while she was trying to help the guy. And the wrestlers jump in. Thing is, one of the better things about these types of movies is they used to grab like professional wrestlers for extra parts who, so that their fight scenes would be very scientifically done. You know, you'd get these guys who were lower end wrestlers who would make a good fight scene out of it because they knew how to do this. They knew how to block it with each other and make it look real. Right. In this case, they probably just got guys who wore costumes because these were bad fight scenes. So they drive off, they beat up and drive off the Inquisition, basically, who are coming to arrest it. And we still don't really know that she's evil until then she gets the person inside while everybody's fighting and stabs the guy to death. And we're like, okay, I guess they saved the wrong person. Right. So we go to the church where we meet the Grand Inquisitor, who's actually played by Arturo Martinez, the director. Oh, I didn't know that he... Yeah, that's him. He's uh, He actually uh, always did something like that. He's in every one of the movies he directs. Okay. He always played a part there, and he meets up with this very good-looking actor who's declaring himself the best swordsman in New Spain. He's telling her, we need you to go and arrest this witch because she's evil and... I don't believe in witchcraft. So they said they bring in the guy who got beat up by Mill and the rest of the gang. And he says that she summons giants with colorful faces. It was literally like taking something out of one of those really bad racist movies where, you know, you light the match and the natives are frightened by it. That's how the guy was talking. It was like there were giants. They were they just beat you up. There were a bunch of guys. I'm glad you brought up the race thing because. Part of the motivation behind what Lorena Velasquez is doing. I was about to go there. Yeah. yeah let's let's go there now. She doesn't like white people. <laughs> yeah. She's half mostly Indian, half Indian uh, mestizo, I think is what it's called. Mm-hmm. And they start using it, which is basically like the N word and towards native uh, Mexicans. Right. You know, people of Maya and Aztec origin it's kind of that term and they were throwing it around a lot yeah and i knew the term so i was like oh that's not good it's like i'm, I'm starting to see her point now mm-hmm. you know the the guys they lead off this team to go and arrest her 
and he goes to the door and knocks on the door. And basically then he is, they are surrounded by these Aztecs and there's no fight. It's like, Oh, well you're around us. We're done. <laughs> it was like, there it was, it's like, uh, you know, you have weapons in hand. You can fight. There aren't that many of these Aztec guys, but they let themselves get arrested and thrown in the dungeon, which basically looked like more like a closet in my opinion. Yeah. It was supposed to be the dungeon, but the dungeon was on the first floor. Sure. I do wonder how much of that might have been lost in translation, though. So, listeners, uh, we, we didn't mention this earlier. This film has not been traditionally released here in the States, and the subtitled version that Frank and I watched, I believe, was a fan-subtitled version. So, we're guessing that the dialogue is pretty accurate, but not speaking Spanish, either one of us, there's a chance something was mistranslated. Uh, so, Mill lets the guys go. They don't want to run because they're afraid of Mill. And it's like, just this is where there's another wonderful scene with Tiana Bless. He's telling them to run, but he's telling them in modern dialogue. <laughs> so they're looking at him like, okay, I'm glad you mentioned that because I actually wrote that down because they're, they're sitting there talking. So you mentioned the dialogue thing. Uh, at one point in the film, Mill does try talking to somebody and like, we don't understand you. We don't understand your language. I'm like, oh, well, that's a nice little touch. You know, historically, yeah, probably the language has evolved a little bit. But then they don't address it again at all. Okay, well, I'm going to jump into a historical thing here. Okay. Mill starts saying now he's the expert. He believes we're really there. So we're there somewhere between 1512 and 1520. Sure. Now, I'm going to give you three problems with that. <laughs> First, Mexico was not conquered until after 1520. There wouldn't be a church. There wouldn't be an inquisition. There wouldn't be people speaking Spanish. Cortez was still fighting back then. Second, how do you get the knowledge that they were in 1512? They're running around in buildings. It could have been yesterday. <laughs> you know, you, you walk into an old building in the past, uh, you know, that's supposed that was built many years ago. Can you tell me exactly when it was built just by walking around it? Well, I'm not Milmascaris, so I don't think I could, but okay, I don't know. But, you well. know, there's literally no setup on how he got these eight years. <laughs> I know. And the buildings themselves had modern cement. But if he had said, say, I don't know, 1600s or something, he could have been close to it, you know, because that by that point, most people in that country spoke Spanish. But this is supposed to be – he somehow got this eight-year difference, 1512 to 1520. So how are they speaking Spanish when most of the people living there didn't speak Spanish? You know, they spoke the Aztec language. Uh, you know, yeah, I got nothing, just, man. <laughs> these are the kind of things that are plot holes in these movies that if you get mad about them, you got to sit back and say, all right. <laughs> pretty much <laughs> pretty much exactly what you have to do right uh but yeah the cheese it line like i said i wrote it down the luchadors are trying to get the people to run off and they seem real hesitant and all that and finally tenebris just steps forward and says get a clue and cheese it get a clue and cheese it so i'm gonna start using that in my everyday life get a clue and cheese it hey they left they, they left but after mill just basically said get out yeah <laughs> <laughs> get a clue and cheese it. I love it. Get a clue it. and cheese it. It was Tiana Bloss. Now, the guy <laughs> who was the leader of that group, the best swordsman in all New Spain, which wasn't New Spain back then, but we're going to jump past that, gets into a sword fight with the guy from the best swordsman in Spain. 
We don't know why this guy was defending Lorena Velasquez. Maybe he was into her. I, I don't know. They don't sell you. And they get into another god-awful sword fight in which the bad guy gets killed and the good guy gets wounded and then taken inside by Lorena Velasquez and he's going to be sacrificed. Now, this is when the fun really begins because this is when the wrestlers start getting involved in the actual stupid plot. Right. I mean, this whole time they've been bystanders. They've just been kind of hanging out. Yes, they've been running around in circles and doing nothing and they get inside and basically... They get beat up by the undead mother in like two swings of her arms and surrounded by the very fake looking Aztec warriors. Bum, 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 and <laughs> yes, exactly. And there's very little fighting, but basically the undead woman tosses Tiana Blas and Mill down the stairs with one swing of her arms. It was very, very fast. <laughs> there wasn't like a lot of setup on why, but all right. It's one of those, okay. So we go back into the only other room we see in this house, the sacrifice room. <laughs> and I really hope it's labeled that like on the floor plans, you know. Yeah, that's right over the door. It's a sacrificial chamber, don't wear white, you know. <laughs> that's also the same room where she stores uh, dead mommy, the mummy. And... um <laughs> She basically is telling them that she's uh, going to sacrifice them to her mother. And we still don't know why. Mill gets a chance to take his shirt off because he has a fantastic build and that has to happen in every movie. That's a rule. It's like Doc Savage must have a ripped shirt. Mill Moscaros must take his shirt off at one point in the movie. You know, when that happened, uh, I, I have a thought on that because earlier in the film, the witch tells the luchadors that they're white men, so they must die. And I believe earlier, aren't the girls saying, well, just take off your mask and show them that you're Mexican? I'm like, no, we're not going to do that. I half wondered, was the shirt removed to show that he's Mexican? But that doesn't mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm assigning way too much thought process to this. I think you're okay. putting way too much. I think it was literally just, well, he's good looking and has a great bill. Let's take his shirt okay. off. Fair enough. I mean, that's why I walk around with my shirt off all day, but I totally, so I get it. Yeah, yeah, I understand that too. I mean, you know. <laughs> so we're working with that, and Mill and the wrestlers get into a fight with the Aztec warriors, and one of whom is a big, burly kind of guy who yells a lot. But the fights are not really fights because they're pretty much circling each other and occasionally slapping. There's nothing much to this. This is actually my favorite fight scene, and do you want to know why? Why? One Aztec warrior takes a swing at one of the luchadors with his little axe. Yes, he does. The luchador ducks and moves. That's right. I was going there, but you beat me to it. it yes. Knocks, it, it, it hits the guy behind him, another guard, full on straight in the skull. Now, if this was really obsidian, or if they were even trying to sell it as obsidian, it would have been bloody. There's no blood at all. But no, in fact, boy, the only thing just, he got was happened. his wig moved. <laughs> yeah, his wig moved. His wig puffed up a little. <laughs> like, why, why did that just, I, did I just see, yeah, I did just see that. Yes, you did. I actually replayed it once when I saw it the first time I saw it. I was like, did I just see him hit a guy in the head? Yes, I did. It was right out of the three All it was missing was a bonk, bonk. kind of sound. Yeah. You know? <laughs> now, the girls who have basically been spending all their time just showing their legs run up on a platform that just happened to be nearby. And right sure. near them, on the platform, is the ugly, god-awful picture of Mommy. So they take the picture and they slam it over Lorena Velasquez's head. 
and Destroyer. Which, you know, it, the way they did it, I didn't have a problem mm-hmm. with. I know it's a lower, lower budget thing, but the way they had her kind of vanish, it was kind of clever. I mean, I could see the ingenuity. Yeah, it was actually it. not a bad scene, but it yeah. was kind of no setup to it, but okay. Oh, there's absolutely no setup to anything that happens in this movie. <laughs> no, not one moment of this movie has setup. So no. they are all of a sudden back in present time. And they're all like, was it a dream? But then Mill still has the remnants of the ropes that were around his wrists. So they realize it wasn't a dream. And their manager comes in and tells them that they've got to wrestle in the morning. They have a long 500-kilometer trip to get to the next wrestling match. Which was believable. You know, I, wrestlers had to hit the roads a lot. And so the next scene is all three wrestlers in the back of this bus sleeping. And it's like two minutes of them sleeping until they get to the wrestling match. When they get inside, it's a three-way match. They're meeting up with three of the guys who are the actors who play the Aztecs. And they scream and run out of the ring. Only to see somebody who looks exactly like Lorena Velasquez in the crowd. And they scream and run back into the ring. Then the match starts and Mil Mascaras and El Fantismo uh, abandon... Tiana Blas, who had abandoned them in the past for the girls, for girls in the crowd where they put their arms around them and are talking and flirting while Tiana Blas is getting beat up by the Aztec guys. The end. Good Lord. Okay. I know that we've giggled a lot and poked fun at a lot of this movie, but I want to say for the record, and I think I could probably speak for you too, Frank, when I say this, I had a great time watching this movie. Oh, yeah, look. I had a really uh, good you time. Know, you you go in there understanding that these movies are a little silly and a little dopey and a little ridiculous and probably, you know, written in a weekend, but they're fun. Yeah. You, you know, the only part that in this movie that dragged for me is the wrestling scene at the 25 minutes of wrestling. And it still had some good moments because you're still dealing with two of the top best wrestlers of all time who can have some good moments here and there in this long overdone scene. And, you know, they actually showed some real demonstration of how skilled they are in the ring. But I have fun with these movies. I, I go into oh, yeah. them and I own them because they're enjoyable. Yeah, I mean, you know what you're getting into when you're watching a luchador film to begin with, especially one from the 70s, because like you said, we're starting to see that particular phenomenon kind of peter out a little bit. Um, you know, that particular subgenre has really scaled back on budget and production. Uh, I don't know what the target audience is for these movies or was for these movies. Were they aimed at children? Were they aimed at the general public? I don't know. But whatever it is, you're going to see a lot of wires and zippers and string. I mean, you can see the seams in these things. That said, I still had a blast watching this. I think it's sad that it probably says something a lot about the wrestling match when Frank and I both agree that the dullest part of this movie was the wrestling match. And I know the tricks. Okay. Not that I'm a wrestler and I'm never going to get in a ring, but you know, I, I read about the business. I learn about the tips and the tricks and you know how they make the sound sound as loud as they do when they slaps or chop somebody or kick somebody or whatever. I know how that's done in the films. It's usually done with sound effects. But even during the wrestling match, the sound effects aren't consistent. (laughs) There are several hits where there's no sound at all. And there's several that are so loud, it must have been like, you know, you just broke every 
bone in his ribs. Right. You know, his rib cage must have shattered in front of you. There was a lack of consistency in that part of it there. Yeah. That said, there's no such thing in my mind as a bad Mil Mascarasa Lorena Velasquez movie. Just I, I will watch her anywhere she is just for those eyes alone. She's stunningly beautiful. Uh, and she's really good at overacting her parts when she's playing evil. She just is so ridiculously over the top at it. I love it for that. She has this smirk on her face almost through the entire film. And yeah, she's a great actress and I'm sure some of it was acting, but you could also tell she's having a good time. She's having a fun making these movies. I don't know if the luchadors were, I'm assuming Tiana Bless did because he got to hang out with some pretty ladies, you know, and he had that swagger, but you can tell that most of the people involved in this were probably having a good time. You could really pick up on the chemistry between Mill and uh, Tianabalus. Uh, the, the chemistry was real, which is interesting because when Tianabalus was first brought into the business, he was brought in to be a Rudo against Mill. They were supposed to be opponents. But yes. whatever the case was, they had that chemistry. And I really want to see those two go on more adventures together. Yeah, the other guy, you know, if he has something to do, great. But I want to see those two go out. Well, and he also played, um, before he became Tianabas, he also played several monsters in Luchador movies. Yeah. He was yeah. uh, he was the Frank Quenstein at least once. Uh, <laughs> yeah, people out there they don't call him Frankenstein; they call him with a Q. So it's Frank Quenstein, and he's got the best mustache ever. Ever, it's so wonderful. <laughs> and he drive and he drives a, a an open top convertible with girls in it. It's like oh, I like this monster. He's suave. Oh yeah, he's a very big muscular guy and he really plays parts like that very well Um, it didn't have any of the original guys who used to make these movies and who usually understood you know what the best means of making it kind of flow better but whenever you see Lorena Velasquez playing a villainous she always has this I am so evil grin on her face the whole time and she's just got a real style about her in any movie she's in that I've always had a good time with Mill is very natural on the camera, despite the masks he's wearing. He's very believable in everything he does, but his yeah. best scenes are always when he was with either Tianablas or the Blue Demon because they play off each other very well. Yeah. Well, and I think of the three, I like Mill, don't get me wrong, but I think of the three, Blue Demon probably had the best acting chops. He actually tried the hardest to become an actor out of a bunch. From what I gather, when Blue Demon started in the business, he didn't know that you filmed the scenes out of order, so he learned it almost play-like. But he actually took the time to work very hard at learning his lines in a believable way. So when he delivers a line about monsters or anything like that, it's very natural because he's actually just training himself to not, you know, just do the lines or walk through it the way some of the wrestlers did towards the end there, especially. But um, when you get to the 70s, most of the movies are a little low budget unless you have the big three in it together. If you have Santo, the Blue Demon, and Mil Mascaras in it, the budget was higher because they were guaranteed big money. Yeah. But you go into these movies with the knowledge that you're not getting a work of art, you're getting fun. And you get that. Even in the worst of them, they're the best. They really are. It's it's a look at a different, I mean, culture to begin with, but it's also a different world that we don't have in a lot of Western cinema. These wrestlers walking around in their suits and masks and they're revered as superheroes. I mean, I know the WWE has a movie producing 
branch and I know there's like the Marine part nine or whatever. And I know they do stuff. I know Kane's been cast. Uh, Glenn Jacobs been cast as a horror movie villain and a couple things. I get that. I think the undertaker was even in an episode of the poltergeist series when it was on television, but it's not the same. There's just something about this particular world, whether it's manufactured and, and for the films only or what, there's just something magical about it. And I can get lost in it for days. These movies are the ultimate pulp silliness, but I collect them because even if they're in Spanish, they're fun. You just nailed it. They're pulp. I love new pulp. I mean, again, it's kind of how I met Frank was reading new pulp, but yeah, they are very pulpy. That's exactly it. And maybe that's another part of the appeal for me is I love that particular style, that subgenre, uh, that, that way of telling stories. So yeah, that's it right there. It, it, it is it because a pulp, it covers all grounds. It covers romance. It covers sci-fi. It covers horror. It covers crime. Now, I will admit, I have very little interest when Santo, the Blue Demon, or Mel Mascaras are fighting gangsters and all of that. It, I want them fighting monsters or Martians. That's <laughs> that's that's just my personal appeal. I've seen a couple of these movies where they're fighting spies and, you know, criminals and it's like eh, you know whatever i don't need this i want to see them fighting dracula i just want to see more fighting but yep. so when you're in a movie where they don't bother really with any setup outside of a scooby-doo episode you know you're having a fun time with what you get i can't agree anymore i mean i'm, I'm right there with you and you can hear frank's passion for this material which is why i always like to have him in as the first guest during lucha de mayo and i said it right again ha take that yes you did twice in a, in a, in a <laughs> podcast i think you're you're done you never can do it again ah uh, well i probably will if you love these movies you love these movies. There's no middle of the road. And this is one that I would recommend because it does have some interesting elements. I, I like the idea that this painting sends people back in time. It could have been executed a little better, but I love that idea. That's kind of cool. And I do like the sneaky, sneaky Scooby-Doo stuff, even if it's a little unrealistic for this film. I like that. And I like some other things here too, but it's probably not one of the better ones, but it's still a great time. And, and I hope you guys and gals had a great time listening to me and Frank talk about it. I mean, I had a good time. I, I'm assuming you did, Frank. I certainly always do. And if you're a person who's going to say, oh, well, that looks phony, you're really going to get bored with these movies. Yeah. And I know that we've even been guilty of it during this whole conversation saying, oh, come on, that doesn't look good. But I mean, we have to remember our own rules. Of course, it doesn't look good. What kind you know of movie do you think you're watching? Yeah, it's, you know, when I'm watching it and I'm rolling my eyes, but I'm rolling my eyes out of love of it. I mean, it's like I'm yeah. having a good time even when I see the zipper in the back of the monster, so to speak. Sure. Frank, thanks for doing this. I really appreciate all your support and love for Monster Kid Radio over the years. Uh, one of these days, um, got to get you up to Monster Bash, man. One of these days, but right it's now. It's not that far from you. It's not no, that far from you. <laughs> that's true. It's in Pittsburgh uh, where I've gone to Pulp Fest once. Uh, I'm just hoping we have anything this year. It's oh, yeah. Yeah, totally no demented kidding. world we're in right now. But you know what? As long as we got Monster Kid Radio and Monster Movies, we'll be all right. No, don't put any pressure on me, but I'll stick with the Monster Movies. We're good. There we go. <laughs> All right, Frank. Thanks for doing this again. Really appreciate it. And again, link in the show notes to all of Frank's books. One of these days, he'll have himself a website I can link to. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> One of these days, One Frank. Of these days. 
I know I kind of teased Frank a little bit about not having a personal website. You're just going to have to go to Amazon and look up Frank Schuldiner and check out everything that he has on offer. All of the books that he's either written himself or contributed to in the form of like anthologies and short story collections, you can find right there. The new book is out. The Klaus Protocol, currently sitting at a five-star rating on Amazon. Now, it's only available for Kindle at this time. I don't know if there are plans to put it out as a print edition as well, but even if you don't have a Kindle, you can still download the Kindle software into your iPod or iPod. (laughs) your iPad or any other electronic device or even your desktop if you want to read Frank's books. And while I haven't read the Klaus Protocol yet, I'm really looking forward to checking it out. I trust Frank and I trust Frank to give me a good time. And that sounds a little awkward. Frank, thank you so much for being part of Monster Kid Radio and for being part of Lucha de Mayo. If somebody asked you to describe a movie to them, what would you say? Would you say that Guardians of the Galaxy is Star Wars meets the A-Team, or that Jurassic Park is Westworld meets the Lost World? The X meets Y pitch is a long-standing Hollywood tradition, one that's been used to sell plenty of movies that otherwise probably wouldn't have been made. But instead of starting with a script and comparing it to two movie titles for an X meets Y pitch, what if we started with two movie titles and improvised the pitch? Well, on my podcast, X Meets Y, that's exactly what we do. I'm Jonathan Inbody, and each episode, I and a guest will randomly select two movie titles, and then we have half an hour to come up with a new original movie idea that could be described as Movie X Meets Movie Y. We've done episodes like Ocean's Eleven Meets 2001 A Space Odyssey, Godzilla Meets Old Yeller, and Robocop Meets Dead Poet Society. Basically, it's a half-hour sprint through a brainstorming session, and it is a lot of fun. If any of that sounds even the slightest bit fun to you, then you should give X Meets Y a listen. It's available wherever you find your podcasts or at xmeetsy.libsyn.com. Hopefully, you'll hear my voice again very soon, but for now, enjoy the rest of your regularly scheduled podcast, you lucky so-and-so. For two million years in these subterranean caves, a creature of superhuman evil was entombed in a wall of ice, waiting to be free, waiting to live again. Travel with us on a journey into a world where nightmare becomes reality. Are you telling me? That an ape that lived two million years ago got onto that crate, killed the baggage man and put him in there. Yes, I am. It's alive. It must be. Travel with us, if you dare, on the Horror Express. Well, that brings us to the end of this episode of Monster Kid Radio. Thanks for being my tag team partner, through the first week of Lucha de Mayo. I'm having a blast, and I can tell you that as of this recording, I have recorded three of the four episodes that you're going to hear this month, and I can tell you right now, it's going to be a good time. The movies that we have lined up, and I've already shared this with the patrons of Monster Kid Radio over at patreon.com slash Radio, and now I'm ready to share it with you, everybody else, the listeners. Episode 470, that was this week, Macabre Legends of the Colony. Now, next week... Episode 471, we are bringing back friend of the show, fellow podcaster, and a really cool filmmaker and a writer, Jonathan Inbody. And he's going to be talking with us about the movie Neutron versus the Death Robots. It's a movie that I have not seen. He picked it, though, and I'm excited to get into it with him the week after that. 
you got to have more Kenny on your Monster Kid Radio. So Kenny's coming over, and we're going to talk about Blue Demon versus the Infernal Brains. And then finally, we're going to close out Lucha de Mayo, episode 473, with our favorite tongue. Doctor Tongue, that is. It's Mark Peterson, and he's going to talk with us about the wrestling women versus the Aztec mummy. I will make sure that this list is also available in the form of the movie poster that I put together for it over on monsterkidradio.net, so you can download it, do whatever you want with it, share it with people, let people know that if they want to hear about Luchador Monster movies, this is the place to do it, because that's all we're doing this month. I also kind of know what's happening in the first week or so of June, but I'm going to sit on that for a little bit longer. I just mentioned the website, monsterkidradio.net. That's where you're going to find everything you need to know about Monster Kid Radio between episodes. Our contact information is there. Our artwork is there. Every book that we've talked about here on the show, including the incredibly cool reference book, The Mexican Masked Wrestler and Monster Filmography by Bob Cotter. Now, Bob was a fixture of Monster Bash. He was an incredibly cool guy, and he wrote this book, and it is pretty much the only book you're going to need to have in your collection if you want to know about these monster movies. Uh, Bob unfortunately passed away not too long ago, but his book's still out there. His words are still with us, and I'll make sure there's a link to his book that you can buy over on Amazon as well. If you buy anything through the Amazon links that you find on our website, we get a buck or two. Okay, probably more like a penny or two because we're an Amazon affiliate, and everything helps. If you'd like to be a patron of Monster Kid Radio, head over to patreon.com slash monsterkidradio and check that out. And stay tuned because this weekend... It is the curse of social distance Saturday. That's right. We're bringing it back. And it looks like we're going to be doing this for the long haul, or at least until I run out of clever ways to title the event. But I think we're going to be around for a while. What's going to happen for the curse of social distance Saturday? As always, Pacific time, 11 a.m., the pre-show begins. And then around noon, depending on how long the pre-show runs, typically not much more than an hour, but still, around noon, the movies and live chat will begin. Now, this is all Pacific time. Like I said, I'm based in Oregon, and that's what I have to work with. Until at least 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock or so, we're running movies. And what's special about this week is that we are teaming up with friend of the show, Jeff Pellier. Jeff has organized and has been running something very similar to what we're doing. It's called the Don't Drive, Stay In event, and that's through the 99W Drive-In out here in Newburgh, Oregon. And what they do is every Saturday night, they show two movies, kind of a all-ages film and then a more... I don't want to say adult because that's not really what it is, but maybe something a little bit more intense after that back to back. And they have their own chat going. It's their own system. They're not using Twitch. They're using something else. And they've been doing a really cool job and having a lot of fun. And Jeff and I, because we're friends and we wanted to team up, join forces. And I can tell you right now that I've already got locked in the two movies that we're going to be showing this weekend for the Curse of Social Distance Saturday slash 99W Drive In, Don't Drive, Stay In. At 7 p.m. we are showing. The first Gamera film. That's right. Gamera. We're going to finally have a kaiju film in the Social Distance Saturday lineup. And then because it's a heck of a double feature, or not, at 9 o'clock we're showing Horror Express. So we can get some Peter Cushing and Christopher Lee to put us to bed. I'm looking forward to this. This is going to be a lot of fun. Head over to twitch.tv slash monsterkidradio. That's where you can follow along with what we're doing here. We can watch the movies together. There's a chat window going. We can chat it up. Just have a really good time. Not only do you see some full-length films, but I try to put in some shorts, maybe some TV episodes, that sort of thing, some trailers, commercials. It's just fun. And we've had anywhere between 20 to like 45 people show up. The more the merrier, man. There is no limit to how many people we can have on the Twitch stream. I 
think there might be a limit actually, but I don't know what it is. So let's try to break the system though. Bring all your friends over. Let's watch the movies together this weekend. And then, like I said, next week we are back with the next episode of Lucha de Mayo here on Monster Kid Radio. And check this out. I've not screwed up the name once. I have not called it Lucha de Mayo at all yet. Although having just said that, I'm sure that's how it's going to come out the next time I try to say it. But it is Lucha de Mayo. So next week, more Luchador films with Jonathan and Buddy. One last thing. If you are in the Oregon area, specifically in the Tigard area, remember that the Joy Cinema is selling their movie theater popcorn from 5 to 7 p.m. Friday and Saturday. Head up to the door. Tell them you want some popcorn. Five bucks for a large bag. And I've got to tell you, I've gotten addicted to this stuff. So I head over there every Friday night to load up because I want to have some for when I'm watching the movies on Saturday. I know a handful of other theaters across the country are doing something similar. So if you're able to support your local movie theater this way, I highly encourage it. Movie theater popcorn, there's just nothing that can top it when it comes to watching monster movies. The song that we played in the middle of the show just before we got into the movie discussion was the song Lucha Libre from the band The Dead Elvi. You can find it on the album A Taste of Blood. They, of course, have given us permission to play their music here on the show over the years. And, you know, it's Lucha Libre. We got to play a song like that to introduce the movie we're talking about. We'll probably be playing it again later on this month. Next week, though, we'll play something different. I don't want to wear you out on the song, even though it's a darn cool. Also, big thanks to the Alder Kings for all their support over the years. And specifically, thank you to Christopher Martinez for being a supporter of Monster Kid Radio. We're going to miss you, man. Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio, LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio, LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives. 3.0 unported license. Of course, that doesn't apply to the song, The Case of the Manic Mummy. That is copyright The Alder Kings, 2013. It is from their album, Mr. Creeper. You can pick it up on Amazon or just check out their website, thealderkings.wixsite.com. Dot com. I'll make sure there's links in the show notes. My name's Derek M. Cook. I'll talk to everybody next week. Why don't you get out of here and cheese it? Ciao. <laughs>